All right, Nate, we're back to celebrate and criticize an Ohio State victory over in the Nebraska Cornhuskers, 52-17. to 17. Nate, what was your initial takeaway? We're now three days post uh, the game from Saturday. Yeah, you know, I, I have a lot of different thoughts, Mike. I, I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll get into all the nitty-gritty, obviously, but initial reaction – I'm incredibly pleased with what I saw. You know, a 52 to 17 win uh, in a year where we didn't have spring football, where we have eight new starters on the defensive side. Um, you know, where fall camp looked different. All things considered, a 35 point win. You can't be too upset or too disappointed with that. Yeah, exactly. You tell me at the start that we're going to win by 35 points, and thinking, well, that's that's going to be a pretty nice win. But the way it happened. It kind of felt a little weird, especially in the first half. A little unsettling, Nebraska scoring in their opening drive. Because I think some of our insecurities with this team definitely had to do with the defense, more specifically the defensive line. And, you know, when Nebraska drives up and down the field and you have Luke McCaffrey running down the sidelines for 47 yards, that's a little bit unsettling, you know. And, and we did give up 210 rushing yards, which is something we definitely need to address. But I think overall, this is like as bad of uh, this is as much of like a, a B performance as you could possibly get for a thirty-five point victory. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's an awesome way to put it. Is that it? It was probably like you said a B B plus performance. Um, but you know, this team did win by thirty-five in a lot of ways. I kind of look at it like we won by twenty-eight. We got that last kind of garbage time touchdown um but yeah you're you're absolutely right and and mike let me ask you how deflating was it that first drive of the game to see to see luke mccaffrey and company drive that team right down the field i mean they scored in less than a minute all run plays were you what was your level of panic at about 1205 1210 eastern time on saturday I don't really know if I was ever panicking. Like, there was never a point in the game, even when it was 14-14 to 14 in the second quarter, where I was thinking, wow, we might actually lose this. I think that more so what I was just worried about was that we were going to have these flaws that would be exploited down the road by better teams, I guess, like further exploited. But it was, was kind of like disappointment, you know? It's like, well, we, you know, we waited all offseason. There was so much hype going into this game, and it just felt like the air was let out of the balloon. Um, with one drive a little bit. Now, obviously, our offense was able to respond pretty quickly, which was which was great, and, and tied up at seven, and then eventually take the lead on an awesome Garrett Wilson touchdown. But that first quarter was a, was a little bit unsettling, um, if we're going to just talk about it chronologically. And second quarter, too. And, you know, we only had a 10-point lead at halftime. But I think Ryan Day did a really good job of talking to the team and at least firing them up defensively, because obviously we didn't surrender a touchdown in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the 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 team's adjustments at the half um, were crucial, and and you know I think a, a wrinkle that people aren't talking about enough as well is just uh, Nebraska kind of threw the kitchen sink at Ohio State. I mean, we love to criticize that Ohio State gave up you know a 70 yard run to Luke McCaffrey on the first series. Luke McCaffrey lined up at, at running back. You know, of course, the yeah, Ohio State defense was – Right, they were a little taken off off guard. And after Nebraska started to settle in, 
to, to their system, to what they run. The Ohio State defense looked more than competent, in my opinion. Yeah, and that was good. I was still a little bit concerned about the pass rush. I guess we could probably just get into, like, the individual uh, grade units like we always like to do. We could start at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, we actually do have <laughs> two quarterbacks to grade, kind of, sort of. Um, but for me, look, you can grade on a curve. But this even exceeds, uh, you know, this is like an A-plus even on the Justin Field scale. 20 for 21, 276 yards, two touchdowns. He also carried the ball 15 times for 54 yards for a touchdown. So he was effective through the air and on the ground. And then Jack Miller got a little run at the end, too, had a nice 21-yard run to set up his two-yard touchdown run. So I, I'm going to give the quarterbacks a fat A-plus. And this is looking like, uh, you know, Hopefully, uh, Justin Fields doesn't hurt his back carrying the rest of this team uh, the way he did in this game. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. I, I think you have to give this performance a solid A um, for the quarterback room. I mean, Justin Fields, holy cow. You know, there may be, you know, I think he took 65 snaps is what I saw on Saturday. There were maybe five plays where I thought, okay, maybe we're holding the ball too long or – or oh, should he have should he have held on to that op, that read option? Um, and that's solely because I don't want him to to get hurt. But you know, I have to keep reminding myself this guy is incredibly athletic, um, and it's in his nature to want to run and to want to you know make plays. And so um, cannot say enough about Justin Fields. I did think it was interesting, Mike, to see Jack Miller first guy in off the bench at quarterback position. Is that something that we're going to see the rest of the year? Or are him and C.J. Stroud going to, you know, rotate back and forth? Um, Jack Miller, not really known as a runner, but, hey, like you said, looked good, scored his first touchdown. I got to give um, a, a solid A to that, that quarterback room. Yeah, Nate, I think it's going to be a rotating door as far as the backup. Or I won't even say backup. I'll really say whoever is going to relieve Justin Fields in the third, fourth quarter. <laughs> Um, as kind of like the long relief pitcher. But my question for you, Nate, is, and I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of tell you my opinion first. I didn't like how much we ran Justin Fields in the design runs. Just based on the way he plays, he's going to end up getting four or five carries, probably even six or seven carries, just on he's dropping back to pass and he's going to scramble. He's probably going to get three or four carries on read options. I understand you have to do that to keep the defense honest. But there were some straight-up JT Barrett, three-yard in the cloud of dust quarterback draws. There were also a bunch of fourth-and-one quarterback sneaks, which I didn't love. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm blanking on who the quarterback was, but there was some quarterback, might have been last year in college football, that got hurt on a quarterback sneak like that. It, it was Patrick been. Mahomes. That's right, it was Pat Mahomes. Yeah, so you don't want a situation like that. Um, I, I'm Anytime he's our leading rusher in terms of carries, that kind of concerns me. So I didn't love that, and also – that kind of showed me, hey, Ryan Day, do you not have confidence in your running backs to get a yard right now? And I don't right. know if he does. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And, you know, honestly, Mike, we're incredibly lucky that Justin Fields, you know, some of the shots that Nebraska was delivering were lucky he didn't get hit, you know, in the head or something like that. We'll talk more about Chris Olave uh, in a little bit. But I think you're right, you know. In games against teams like Nebraska and Rutgers and and a Maryland, he doesn't need to run the ball more than five times. Now, maybe this weekend at Penn State, maybe against Michigan, 
or, you know, in, into the bowl games and we get into the college football playoff, then maybe you're running Justin Fields 15 to 20 times because you have to have that element. No college football team is very great at stopping the run from a quarterback position, that is. Um, but in these games that are, are you know, well within grasp, we're going to win. I just don't want to see that number 15 next to his rush attempts. And Mike, that speaks to a, an, an issue that I'll bring up next, our next uh, grouping, the running backs. I, I have to give the running backs a C. Um, and, and honestly, if Steel Chambers didn't come in and have a really nice series where I think he had four rushes for 32 yards, um, including a long, like, 15-yard draw play to get a first down on, um, it, it may have been lower. You know, Master Teague, um, I know he's coming off an injury, but he, he looks slow. Um, it, it looks like he can bulldoze some guys, but he didn't look great. Uh, Trey Sermon, you know, it, it didn't look great either. He feels like he's supposed to be the guy that kind of fits the J.K. Dobbins mold where he's able to make jump cuts and, and make people miss. And I really didn't see that from, from Trey Sermon either. And, and so I, I think I'm left thinking – Steel Chambers looks best. Should he get more carries, Mike? What do you think about the running backs? Yeah, Trey Sermon and Master T definitely get a C. I think Steel Chambers was very impressive. And even Xavier Johnson didn't look terrible. Um, who, you know, we didn't really expect to see him too much. I like the balance. I do like how Ryan Day distributed the work. 12 carries for Master T, 11 for Trey Sermon, uh, and then four for Steel Chambers and Xavier Johnson each. But, and you know, if you just look at the raw numbers, okay, you know, 4.8 yards per carry for the running backs. That's not terrible, but for an Ohio State offensive line against the Nebraska defensive line, which was missing their, you know, their best player was out of the game, injured for, I think, a few drives too. They should have been able to run the ball effectively. And also they weren't converting on short yardage either. So I actually, I'm a little worried about it. And I guess we can kind of bring up the ghost of the 2018 team that seems to be anchoring yeah. on this team yeah. because that's what happened. You know, we saw, you know, we had an effective run game in 2017. JT Barrett's gone. And then Dwayne Haskins comes in. Dwayne Haskins, not a scrambler. And then all of a sudden, J.K. Dobbins regresses. We saw what Master Teague was last year. But is it possible that without J.K. Dobbins, uh, is Master Teague and Trey Sermon, they're kind of both RB2s and neither of them can step up to be RB1, and then that could, you know, potentially stunt the running game as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Mike. And, and 2018 is exactly what came to mind for me as well. And, you know, this, this is something that I don't know if I've, I've heard people talking about enough, but I am done – with the every other series business with running backs. I, I know that Trey Sermon or Master Teague are locked into a battle, um, but I think back to 2018 and, and J.K. Dobbins, he could never really get a rhythm going. You know, Mike Weber did okay, but J.K. Dobbins could never get a rhythm because he knew the next series he was going to be out. And so I, I really hope, that Ryan Day and this coaching staff, Tony Alford, says, hey, we, we have to find the guy and we have to stick with the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think the running style of Trey Sermon and Master Teague seem to be more similar to Mike Weber than J.K. Dobbins. I would say J.K. Dobbins is a lot like Steel Chambers. He kind of just 
you know, runs straight through and finds his hole as he goes, whereas Trey Sermon and Master Teague, there might be a little bit more hesitation. But I don't know. That's just me just, you know, watching the game. I'm not exactly looking at the All-22. But if you have this kind of offensive line, the offensive line was supposed to be a strength of this team. Um, and I guess yeah. I'll, I'll kind of mention the offensive line quickly. Yeah, they did give up three sacks, and the running game wasn't too impressive. But I would actually – I mean, we already talked about the running game not being impressive, being kind of the running back's fault primarily. I think the sacks are kind of the offensive are, – are not on the offensive line necessarily. Sometimes Justin Fields just, you know, holds the ball forever back there and kind of plays backyard football. So I actually think yeah. the offensive line did pretty well. I'll give them a B-plus here. Uh, and, and I think that's going to be a unit that continues to, you know, be a strength of this team moving forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go A, Mike. I think that, you know, it took them a little while, but they, they really did start to get things going um, on the run in the run game. Um, they were opening up holes. I think they were dominating the line of scrimmage. And this team still ran for, you know, 200-plus yards. Um, and so I, th- I, I would give the offensive line an A. And I, I can remember having the same discussion a year ago with – Justin Fields in this offensive line saying, do we have protection problems or does Justin Fields, kind of like you mentioned, like to play some backyard football? And I, I think that he, he does like to play backyard football. And so, you know, this week obviously going to be a much better test with, with Shaka Tony coming or going to, to Shaka Tony's uh, field at Penn State there and Jason away as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think overall the – Offensive line looks great. I think, Mike, transitioning to the wide receivers and tight ends, um, I thought this was the most impressive group. Um, Justin Fields obviously looked outstanding, but we expected that. And and we expected good things from this receiving group, but we weren't sure would Garrett Wilson take the next step, especially in that slot position. And I thought this group just looked outstanding. I, I've got to give them an A+. Even from the depth, Julian Fleming had a catch. Um, you know, G. Scott had a target. Jackson Smith and Jigba had perhaps the catch of the year, the catch of a career um, in his first game right there in the red zone. So very, very impressed with this group as a whole. And that was the most impressive five-yard catch I've ever seen. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm a little worried about the lack of depth. I mean, look, I know the depth is there, right, but it just didn't show up in the box score. Uh, I'm not trying to be a slave to the stats necessarily. But if Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave were to go down with an injury, and Olave was hurt on that, and I guess Justin Fields only in completion of the game, uh, Chris Olave yeah. looked like, I don't know, I guess he got the wind knocked out of him or something, but it looked like he had a missed play or two. If something like that happens, we don't really know if Fleming or if Williams or if Smith and Jigba can step up and be a number two guy. So I do want them to kind of develop depth. And you're playing Nebraska. It's like you know you're going to win the game by 35 points. How about you spread the love around a little bit and get other people involved? Uh, Olave and Wilson both having over 100 yards. I'm not trying to complain at all, but uh, I, I think it, I think you do need to kind of rely on other guys as well. So I'm not faulting them, but I'm just saying more so from a game plan point of view. I'll give them an A minus as a unit. Um, that was nice to see Julian Fleming get a catch. I, I'm kind of underwhelmed with James Williams, but. You know, it is what it is, and obviously Jeremy Ruckert, uh, we've just come to expect this uh, from him, one one catch for six yards. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, the thing is, too, that I noticed, Mike, was that 
Nebraska played almost exclusively, I felt like, man-to-man coverage uh, at those corner positions. And, and so man-to-man coverage, uh, you know, Ohio State's receivers against most of the nation, they're going to win those battles. I look for teams to move more to zone against this team, especially, you know, if the run game does not continue to, to progress and they start bringing people out of the box and that's where I think guys like Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, G. Scott, Jamison Williams, they're going to have to be able to get open and to be big-time contributors. Um, Mike, before we get to our MVP and our LVP, I guess we have to get to the defensive side of the ball. Um, I did want to ask you, um, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and it, it feels to me that teams that win national titles – They have great quarterbacks, obviously, um, but it it feels like what really separates elite teams these days is the wide receiver play. Last year, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, year before Justin Ross, T. Higgins, year before you got Alabama, Jalen Waddell, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, Calvin Ridley. Um, Is Ohio State getting to that strategy? sphere of elite weapons out wide and is that a is that a, a game-changing part of college football today the the talent and the depth of wide receiver yeah I think college football has definitely flipped the switch a little bit I would say even as you know 10 years ago it was all about the run game uh, it was about Tim Tebow it was Mark, about Ingram. Mark, Mark Ingram Derek Henry uh, you know, you had some running backs winning the Heisman, and that's definitely switched. Now, if you look at Ohio State's wide receivers, everyone in that receiver room either has potential in the form of a recruiting ranking or in Chris Olave's, you know, for, looking at Chris Olave, he might be a four-star recruit, but he might as well have been a five-star recruit the way that he's produced the last few years. Uh, so Garrett Wilson, he's produced, and he's a five-star. Olave, four-star, and he's produced. Fleming, five-star. You know, Smith and Jigba, he's a five-star. So I think they definitely have the pedigree. I wouldn't necessarily put us up against uh, Bama head-to-head. Maybe now that Jalen Waddle is out for the year, maybe we can go head-to-head with them. But the the important thing is we're definitely going to have problem matchups. And when you have a guy like Justin Fields delivering them the football, you know, great things can happen. Because look at at what we were in 2018. That was the best passing attack in the history of Ohio State football. And even though we didn't make the playoff, we had a passing attack that was worthy of going into the playoff, and our defense just held us back. And in my opinion, Justin Fields is a better college and pro quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. And even though that team had four NFL receivers, I think you could say that this Ohio State receiving room is better than that Ohio State receiving room. So, you know, our strengths are better than that team's strengths. And we also, I think, uh, you know, we have a higher floor as well as our weaknesses aren't as bad as that team's weaknesses. So I feel really good about Ohio State's weapons um, considering the landscape of college football today. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And um, the tight ends looked, you know, they did the, the did their role, didn't get a lot of catches. I think Rucker had one, um, but looked good in the run game. Um, let's transition, Mike, to the defensive line. Um you know, this is a place that, or, or an area, a lot of question marks this offseason. We lost Chase Young, um, and I thought they had some really good moments on Saturday and some really rough moments 
But, Mike, the biggest thing to me, the the starting lineup was Jonathan Cooper, Tyler Friday at, at the ends, and then Tommy Togiai and Antoine Jackson at the tackle positions. And, you know, going into the year, I would have thought it would be Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, uh, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith. Uh, and that's not what we got. In fact, we didn't see a lot of Harrison at all. I give this group overall a, a, a C plus just based on potential. And it probably would have been lower had Haskell Garrett not come in and really made some noise. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is probably the position group that we're watching with the closest microscope because it's been, I mean, I could think back till, yeah, it's about 2012 since the last time Ohio State has not had a top three pick on the defensive line, considering the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. Obviously, sometime uh, in that stretch, we had both, you know, Nick Bosa and Chase Young. So I was looking at the pass rush, and from the beginning, I was definitely bothered by the lack of pass rush. I know we ended the game with three sacks, but I'm not totally convinced uh, that that was our doing as much as it was Nebraska's you know, inability to pass block. And it's a worry for me going forward. I think, I mean, you got to tip your cap to Haskell Garrett coming back after getting shot in the face. You know, what, what was that, two, three months ago? That's unbelievable. Um, and I think Tommy Tokiai played well, so I guess I would grade the interior defensive line as a B. But we were just not getting any rush off the edge, which is, which is really scary. I mean, it, you know, you know it's bad when you want Vernon Wolston to come back. Yeah, and, and, you know, I will say that Nebraska schemed pretty well to avoid, you know, what they, they maybe perceived going into that game as what Ohio State's strengths would be, being um, good long-ranging corners and also talented defensive ends. There weren't a lot of five- and seven-step drops, um, a lot of, you know, quick uh, screen passes, slant plays, um, and obviously they ran the ball a ton. But I, I, I think it goes back. Mike, have you heard anything? Is there a reason that we didn't see more Zach Harrison? I mean, he played 15 snaps, and he had one of Ohio State's one sacks. Um, you know, Tyreek Smith played the, the second least amount of – Javante John baptiste played more than, than those guys. Um do you have a feel for what's going on? Or are Zach, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith in the doghouse? Are they hurt? What, what's the deal? I don't know. It's, it's definitely concerning. I haven't read anything. I was definitely looking all over Twitter for someone to comment on that. And it, it's concerning because I think that this defense is basically in a ride or die with Zach Harrison. I think he's that important. He's that guy that has the potential. He had three and a half sacks last year as a freshman. Um, and now he's a true sophomore. He did have a sack in his limited playing time, so I guess you got to give him credit there. I don't know what was going on. Maybe it was just they were thinking, you know, we got to rotate guys in. We got to try to show our depth. It's really impossible. You know, and we also haven't seen Kerry Combs as a defensive coordinator. You know, he's been an assistant coach basically his entire career, so he's kind of doing no th new things from the defensive uh, coaching point of view. It's definitely strange. Uh, it's, it's something to look out for. He didn't seem to be hurt. He wasn't limping at all. But um, I, I think you gotta let let you gotta like live and die with Zach Harris. You know, you gotta go out there and basically play him. He should definitely be playing every third down. Um, and yeah, I don't know, maybe it was a conditioning problem. It's hard to speculate. Have you have you heard anything? Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything either. I'm I'm so curious. You know, it would have made sense to me 
I think we talked about this last week. You know, Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, probably the two best ends we have. Tyreek Smith been hurt, but loads of talent there. Um, it makes sense to to split those guys and have Cooper and Friday opposite them. Um, but we didn't even see that, and so it it just felt it felt very odd to me. Um, and you know, the the other story, Mike Antoine Jackson did not look great at defensive tackle we looked solid there when Haskell Garrett came in um but we we've got to get more depth there um I don't I don't know what the latest is with Teron Vincent he's we've got to get him healthy so he can contribute that's a five he's the crown jewel of the 2018 class um we we've got to see him on the field you think about a year ago so much depth at defensive tackle we had Davon Hamilton and B.B. Landers and Jay Sean Cornell and, um, you know, and, and Tommy Togiai and, and Haskell Garrett. So much depth. I, I think that that's going to be paramount as the season goes on that we have guys who can spell Togiai that can spell Haskell Garrett. Yeah, my panic meter just in terms of the pass rush and defensive line right now is at a four. I do trust this coaching staff to figure it out, and I think Zach Harrison will come along and probably finish the year with 10 sacks and maybe 20 quarterback hurries. But, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it a little bit. You know, it's, it's a four out of ten right now, and it can certainly go up. We'll talk about that in the context of Penn State when we do the Penn State preview. Nate, let's move on to the linebackers here. This was kind of the senior group. We were hyping them up uh, when we were previewing the depth chart before. I, I got to say, I wasn't too low on them. I think it's a really tough matchup when you go against guys like Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey for the defense just because, you know, the, those guys are super mobile. You're kind of caught spying. They're, they're tough to, you know, they're, they're dual threats by, by trade. So I don't necessarily think they did that terrible, but they certainly weren't as strong as I expected. So I'll, I'll say C+. Plus. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give this group a C plus as well. And, and Mike, it goes back to, you know, you and I have been off, have been podcasting. I think this is our third full season or maybe fourth of Ohio state football. And it feels like a, a consistent issue has been coaching staff playing, you know, experience or commitment to the program over talent. Um, and I know that, you know, Baron Browning moved positions this offseason. Pete Warner moved to a new position. And so I'm sure they're figuring that out. But, I, you know, Dallas Gant played 19 snaps, and he had three solo tackles. Um, Tarhada Mitchell, 16 snaps, two solo tackles. You know, I, I just have to wonder, are we playing the most talented guys? And, and you know, Kerry Combs recruited – Tough Borland. He recruited Pete Werner and Baron Browning. And and, and so, I, I don't know. I, I just think you have to wonder. I think Pete Werner has a role on this team. I think Baron Browning's probably has a tremendous role on the defensive line. He had five sacks last year. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I just think that college football is changing and linebackers – have to be more like Dallas Gant, about 220, 230, rangy, can make plays in open field. And I just don't know if Tuff Borland and even Baron Browning, for that degree, have the, the build to get that done. 
Yeah, Tough Portland's a, a really interesting player um, just because he seems like he's so good in certain matchups, but then, you know, against the Wisconsin's of the world. But then teams like Nebraska, who really spread you out, it become, he becomes kind of a liability, I hate to say it. But, you know, he, he can't – because he can't be effective as a spy against Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey. And he's not he, – he's a, he's a decent tackler, you know, when it is three yards in the cloud of dust, but he's not a good open field tackler. Uh, unfortunately, so it'll be. I, I like that idea of playing Baron Browning. You know, line him up as a as a three technique defensive end, rush the passer, or puts him off the edge. I really do like that idea. I hope we can see that as much as possible. But this is a linebacking unit. You know, this is basically the third year where these guys, these three guys, have had significant playing time. You know, Pete Warner and Tough Rowan have been playing significant minutes since they were sophomores. Same thing with Baron Browning. But I think we really saw the absence of Malik Harrison. Malik Harrison did everything for this yeah. game last year. And without him, it's like, you know, all three of them were trying to pick up the pieces, and it's almost like they just weren't able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a um, tough Moreland trying on an NFL guy. Pete Warner will play in the NFL at linebacker. Darren Browning, 6'5". I, you know, if, if he could add 20 pounds to his frame, he can play defensive end in the NFL. And so, I don't know. Like I said, I think it might be time you, you start looking at Dallas Gantt, Kayvon Pope, and Terhada Mitchell. It may be their time. Hey, I do want to make the one comparison that we talked about before the podcast. Uh, they were saying, you know, tough Portland in 2008 versus 2019, what's the difference? Well, in 2018, I think even the coaches said this, right, that tough Portland's a guy that you want to send out there because he, he calls the plays. He's really good in terms of being a leader. Uh, and that, that works when you have talent around you. But when it's a team like 2018's defense where the team's devoid of talent, then you need a middle linebacker who, you know, does more than leadership, you know, kind of transcends leadership and can play with with, you know, skill and good open field tackling. So I kind of said he's sort of the linebacker equivalent of Teddy Bridgewater. If you throw Teddy Bridgewater on the Saints, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, you know, he can go 6-0. But if you ask him to, you know, lead a team by himself in Carolina, he's kind of like 500 quarterback at best. So uh, that, that's my that's my comparison. I'm sticking my flag there. Teddy Bridgewater is tough ball. Perfect, perfect comparison, Mike. Uh, let's Let's finish it off here. Um, with the secondary, what did you think? You know, we had uh, three, four new starters there, if you include Josh Proctor getting a lot of minutes. Um, what, what did you think of Seven Banks and Marcus Williamson and, um, and Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker? What, what, what were your thoughts? I thought they were pretty good, considering this is another situation where the losses from last year – uh, at least early on, we knew it was going to be really tough for them to replace. Jordan Fuller, uh, massive. You know, Jeff Okuda, massive. You're, you're, you're replacing three NFL guys. Two of them, Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda, were first-round picks. So we knew it was going to be tough sledding. Sean Wade did a good job holding his own. So I guess if we're grading on a curve, I would say B-minus here. We didn't allow any huge plays over the top. Nebraska's longest pass play was 26 yards, which is something I like to always pay attention to because you kind of want to force the other team to nickel and dime you down the field. So I, I, I like the I, I liked overall the defensive back's performance. Yeah, I'm going to give this group an A. I thought that they played really well. Um, you know, seven banks, fumble recovery, touchdown, Josh Practor, uh, fumble recovery. I like that we rotated a bunch of guys in there. 
Um, you know, Sean Wade was on the field the whole time, but you saw Marcus Hooker in that single high safety look. You saw Josh Proctor come in and play some some nickel, cover some tight ends. I thought Marcus Williamson looked okay. Seven Banks, um, Cam Brown played, and and that that's what I wanted to see, you know wanted to see going into this game. Um, and so I thought that you know the defensive backs as a whole looked pretty good. They're their tests are going to get bigger than they were this week, but for week one, not bad. All right, Nate, let's uh, – I mean, we don't really have to talk about special teams. There wasn't anything crazy to talk about either way. Um, let's give our MVP and LVP. Uh, who'd you pick for the MVP? MVP, I'm going to go Garrett Wilson. Um, you know, it felt like maybe a, a two-horse race with him and Justin Fields, uh, but I thought – thought Garrett Wilson looked outstanding. He had seven catches, 129 yards, and a touchdown. He did it in a variety of ways, shallow crossing routes, deep post routes, um, deep out routes. Uh, I love this guy. I think he's got the potential to go down as one of the greats at the wide receiver position. Um, so I, I'm going to go Garrett Wilson, Mike. What about you? Um, I'm going to go with Justin Fields. This was – look, we've seen him play, I think it's now 15 games as an Ohio State quarterback. No, uh, 14 games as an Ohio State quarterback. This was his third best game he's ever played, just in terms of, like, raw QBR. His previous best were at Rutgers last year uh, and then actually at Nebraska last year, interestingly enough. So he had a 97 QBR. So I, there was no other way that I could – I could go with this one. I wanted to maybe even say Haskell Garrett for coming back from injury, but that mm. felt a little too cute. I know we don't want to just, you know, give it to Justin Fields every week, but uh, I figured you were going to mix it up like you did with Garrett Wilson. So <laughs> I, I don't feel guilty going with Justin Fields. And for the LVP, I'm just going to give it to the running back room minus Steel Chambers. So that uh, that two-headed monster of, uh, you know, four yards of carry, uh, Mark, you know, uh, Master, yeah. Teague, Master Teague and Trey Sermon. So, yeah, I think they'll I think they'll correct it, but there was no other way for me to go with the LVP than, than those two guys. All right, that LVP, I I you know I didn't feel like there were a lot of uh, great choices here because you know overall I thought that this team uh, played pretty well. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to the linebacking room. Um, I don't want to single any of those guys out, um, but it just wasn't good enough. Um, getting caught in the wrong places, not playing good uh, gap assignment football. It, this group has to be better. Um, you know, Phil Steele ranked them the third best linebacking room in America going into the season, and we just didn't see that this week. It's got to be better. I'm going to go with the linebackers. All right, now, now let's quickly kind of do a little Big Ten whip around and just give like our, our rapid-fire takes on the games that happen. Uh, Wisconsin, yeah. Illinois, Graham Mertz looked terrific, but unfortunately for Wisconsin, the second that they get a capable quarterback, he gets COVID, and if the positive test is confirmed, unfortunately, he's going to miss the Michigan game, which is enormous for Wisconsin and their chances of winning the Big Ten. Yeah, I think it was actually confirmed today. Oh, wow. um, so Graham Mertz done for the next three weeks. Um, I, You know, they go to – Nebraska, I believe, this week. That that could be a tough ball game for them without um, – they don't have Jack Cohn, don't have Graham Mertz. Even their third-string guy is roommates with Graham Mertz. He tested positive. They're waiting his second test as well. They could be onto their fourth-string quarterback. If there's a program where it's going to work, it's Wisconsin because they run the football so well. 
Um, but definitely a storyline I thought Wisconsin looked dominant. Mike, what do you think about Minnesota and Michigan? Did Michigan look really good or was Minnesota a little overrated and maybe lacking some just overall health as they were without their starting right tackle and right guard? Well, first I want to say that this game was incredibly disappointing. Uh, you know, I was so excited to watch this game. I was hoping it'd be kind of a classic battle. And then Michigan was up 35-17 to 17 at halftime. I'm going to actually give Michigan credit. I would say that this is like 60% Michigan being good, uh, 40% Minnesota being bad. Uh, Joe Milton looked good. Um, I, I think he, in that one start, he had a higher QBR than Shea Patterson did in any game for Michigan last year. So that's kind of an interesting little stat. Mm. Uh, their, their running game is always pretty solid. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, but I also think Minnesota was kind of overrated coming into the year. Outside of Bateman, I, I didn't think they had too many good returning threats for Tanner Morgan for the football too. I've kind of always thought Tanner Morgan was overrated. Uh, and I feel like Minnesota is one of those teams last year that built a reputation on beating bad teams, and then they just caught Penn State at the right time at home, got that win, and then they beat Auburn in the ball game. And honestly, you know, that's not too impressive just seeing how Gus, what Gus Malzahn's done with that program. So I will give a little bit of credit to Michigan, but I think uh, this is also Minnesota being overrated. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, Michigan looked looked pretty good. Um, I think they kept the offense really simple for Milton. He didn't have to make a lot of complicated reads. Um, the running game looked stout. I think the key for this Michigan team is how do they look when Joe Milton has to go win a football game. Um, and and we'll, we'll see that in the coming weeks, you know, when he's tasked with, with doing that. So um, overall, pretty, pretty decent Michigan team. I think this Minnesota team, you know, the, the Big Ten West, Purdue won this weekend. So maybe Minnesota still gets a second place finish there, but probably not as good as we thought. I, the game of the weekend, though, um, as a whole and in the Big Ten, Mike, Penn State and Indiana, what were your thoughts? I mean, I have voiced my opinion on disliking James Franklin a lot. Um, and I don't want to give – you know, as much as I want to bury Penn State, they shouldn't have lost this game. You know, that's just that, – that's how it is. They're running back – I don't know who it was. Was it Ford who, like, scored at the end when he really shouldn't have? He just took a seat on the yeah. yard line. Indiana wouldn't have been able to drive down the field and tie the game. I mean, if you just look at the stat sheet um, – Penn State outgained Indiana by 277 yards. So they, they more than doubled Indiana's yard production. They had 10 penalties, so Penn State was just shooting themselves in the foot left and right. And you could argue at the end whether Michael Penick's diving two-point conversion was, was in or not. I don't know. Could have gone either way. I guess you just got to stick with the ruling on the field. So definitely stinks for Penn State, but it doesn't really change the trajectory of Penn State's season because if they beat Ohio State, they'll have the inside track to win the Big Ten and probably get into the college football playoff. But still, you got to feel deflated if you're Penn State. You know, Micah Parsons opted out. He didn't come back, and now this is really tough. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. What a, what a heck of a game just all the way around. Um, some of the boneheaded plays, Devin Ford scoring a touchdown, uh, Indiana doing the weird little squib onside kick, uh, Indiana or Penn state missing the last second field goal. Crazy game. Um, the only other game Mike in the big 10 that took, I took note of, uh, Rutgers, man, they, you know, thoroughly throttled 
a bad Michigan State team won by, you know, I think 11 points. This Rutgers team, um, you know, they may finish with two or three wins this season. How about that? Yeah, I, I think you might be selling them a little short with two to three wins. Uh, Greg Schiano, when he first got hired by Rutgers, he said, I'm going to win a national championship. Wasn't exactly true, but they did sort of come close. And now he's saying, oh, we're going to win a Big Ten. Probably not going to be true. But, you know, they, they, they're scrappy, and I think they could actually uh, challenge Indiana this week coming up. So, you know, they have a transfer quarterback from Nebraska, Noah Vedral, who looks a little, little scrappy. Definitely going to be rooting this, for this team as a New Jerseyan. Um, but, yeah, other than that, and I guess Nebraska blew out Maryland. Big deal. Nobody cares. Purdue beat Iowa. Again, not a huge deal. I don't think either of those teams are going to threaten for the Big Ten West. Uh, so those are our kind of Big Ten, our rapid-fire Big Ten takes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mike, as we close this podcast out, um, I'd love to hear your final four as it stands. Who are the four football teams, uh, getting into the college football playoff? And, and for those of you listening, um, wondering, Hey, I sent in a question. When, it, when is that going to get answered? We're going to release another podcast later in the week, previewing Penn state. Be sure to check out your questions. Uh, on that podcast that said Mike your final four yeah so nothing changes for me I'm gonna say in order the Alabama Crimson Tide one Clemson Tigers two Ohio State Buckeyes three and number four I'm gonna go with the BYU Fighting Mormons the Cougars the Coastal Carolina's close oh they're moving their way up they're 20 on the AP poll my my new bandwagon team is Liberty Liberty's got to get got to be ranked Hugh Freeze Slinging the rock around. They're six and zero. Give me some Liberty Flames. What conference is Liberty in? They're actually an independent, so uh, they technically okay. yeah, yeah, they're right there with BYU and Army and Navy, etc. <laughs> Learn something new every every day. Um, I'm gonna uh, uh, same course for me. A little bit different on the first two seeds. There, I'm gonna go Clemson one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, setting up a. Big time semifinal between the the Buckeyes and the Crimson Tide without Jalen Waddle. Big story there. Um, and then I am going to put Oregon at number four. Um, I think that this is going to be, you know, they had five positive tests. So if they ever play a game, I think that they're going to win out this year. And given how bad the rest of the uh, conferences are playing, they're going to get a backdoor invite to the college football playoff. Man, the SEC fans' heads will explode if Georgia, with two losses, both to Alabama, um, sitting there eight and two, doesn't get in over an Oregon team who's four and zero with four wins over Colorado and Utah and roast beef tech. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see it, though. I would love to see it. <laughs> That's gonna do it for us for this podcast. Nate and I are gonna you know, run right through, run the no huddle offense and, and record the Penn State preview right now. But if you want to send us any questions at all for next week or about the you know, Penn State game in general, uh, we'd love to talk about big picture stuff at Nuts for Bucks Pod on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. And we're going to play you out with some hang on, Sloopy.